it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight is episode 185. Andrew and I got some really good listener questions over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to take a stab at answering a few of them here on the air. So I am going to go ahead and read the first question, and then Andrew and I will go ahead and do our little give and take. So the first question is regarding Andrew's favorite topic, dividends. Uh, so he says, I am currently using Drip to reinvest my dividends. I would love at some point in the future to be able to live off a dividend income. Seems like a fantasy at this point in time, but who knows? Uh, is there a point in time when successful stop doing drip and withdraw dividends as income into their personal bank account? Is there a rule of thumb that people use to keep dripping a certain percentage of dividends and keep a certain percentage for themselves? I'm fully aware that I'm probably getting ahead of myself to think that, that I could live off the dividend income. But if I keep saying it out loud, I might force this scenario into existence someday. So I like that idea. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on his uh, great question here? I love it. Speak it into existence. I don't know if there's a particular rule of thumb. The way I would look at it is if you if you take the returns from the stock market. So if we say over the very long time period, stocks have tended to return around 10% a year. So if we say like 3 to 4% of that is dividends, then we're left with six to seven percent per year so if you have a pile of cash and it's not a pile of cash let's say it's a pile of these stocks and you're trying to figure out if you can stop dripping them which means reinvesting them back into those stocks if you're happy with that that group of equities growing at that rate then I see no problem with with stopping a drip. You know, basically, if your portfolio gets to a point where 
you're happy at it, maybe sustaining or, or keeping up with inflation, then maybe you can just take the dividends and spend those and, and live. you're basically living the dream at that point, right? So you do have to keep in mind that, yes, you know the stock market is not going to give you a perfect 10% a year. Yes, you might have to deal with some stock market crashes, some bear markets where things will get a little tight. But if at the end of the day, if if you're able to take the dividends and it's not it's not going to hinder your retirement plans, your long-term plans, then I think that's probably a good spot and it's going to come down to risk tolerance if if somebody wants to have a little bit more margin there just in case their stocks end up not doing as well as they thought or if somebody wants to be a little bit more aggressive and and you know live live life a little bit on the faster lane then you can do that too but that's kind of the way I would think about it if if the money does not if you're not trying to necessarily maximize your compounding because your essentially your your entire portfolio is at a place where you are mostly on track, if not already there, to where you need to be to have a long and prosperous retirement, financial freedom, rest of your life, however you want to term it, then that's that's a point where taking off dividends and not reinvesting them and, and enjoying them it will probably will probably be the same whether you enjoy them or reinvest them. So it, it makes for a good, healthy kind of place in mind to to be able to make that leap. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I I know that when I was reading through this question, I I thought about what he was talking about. And you know, honestly, I had never heard anybody actually ask the question that way. And so I I I thought about what would I do? How would I handle this? And uh, something that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about this was something that Charlie Munger had said. He said, the the first rule of compounding is never to interrupt it uh, in unnecessarily. So, uh, you know, I think that's one thing that I guess I was thinking about. So, but I think all the points that Andrew made were great. You know, the closer you get to retirement or whatever the goal is that you have, you're going to start to know when you're at the right place to do what you need to do. And I think what Andrew was suggesting as far as splitting up the the portfolio and having different portions of it continue and maybe using some of it as your income, those are all going to be great options. And, you know, if you're younger and you set this up correctly, it's obviously something you can, you can do as you get closer to retirement. But I, I like, I like what Charlie was, was recommending and, you know, I'm a big fan of the power of compounding. So if I can not interrupt it until I absolutely have to, then I'm, that's what I'm going to partake of. But, uh, I definitely listen to what Andrew said. That was, that was great advice. All right. Let's move on to the next question. So the next question is from Angie. Uh, Angie was asking, uh, so she's a new investor and subscriber to our e-letter and she's been binge listening to the podcast. So she can't express. Uh, her appreciation that she found all the resources and investing is something that she is always intimidated by, but the explanations and examples that uh, both Dave and I uh, provide are easy to understand and thorough. 
Uh, she's currently dripping all of her dividend stocks. Way to go. And wanted to take a stab at applying some of your investing strategies in evaluating a high yield dividend stock. So she picked out a company called NHI, which is National Health Investors, which is a REIT. And she's taken some of her advice and she's done some research on her own. And she's used some of the, the metrics and suggestions from Andrew's seven steps book. And she wanted to kind of get our views and thoughts on NHI. So she said it looks like a good buy with her, uh, with the exception of a high price to cash ratio. And she said, I know you suggested weighing the totality of each calculation when making a decision whether to invest in a particular company. Well, she asked if we would mind setting some light on what we thought of NHI. So. Andrew thought this would be a really good idea to talk a little bit about this company. So he had some insights he wanted to share with us. Yeah, let's just do, let's look at the company real quick. And and let me point out some things that kind of pop up in my head and can give you food for thought. Maybe you can apply it when you're looking at other type of companies that you're wanting to invest in. So full disclosure, I have a different REIT in my portfolio, which I recommended in the e-leather. And so I guess in a way, my opinion on this is is kind of impartial because I, I have a, a pretty good reallocation as it is. Um, I'm always interested in looking at, at new businesses, so this will be fun. Just going on their in their annual report and looking at how they describe their business, they talk about how they do senior housing and medical facility investments. So they have 238 facilities in 34 states. And so some of those are senior housing. Some of those are skilled nursing. There's three hospitals and two medical offices. So being a REIT, and and just to back up for a second, REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. This is a special type of vehicle where it's still a company. You can still invest in it and buy stocks uh, buy shares of it in the stock market. But the way that they grow is different from a normal type of business. So if you take a business like Disney, for example, um, the way they have grown over time is that they earned a profit. They took those profits, they reinvested it in the business. For these real estate investment trusts, they do take some of those profits and reinvest in the business. But because of the way they're structured, they have to give most of their earnings back in a dividend. And then in order to grow the business, they actually have to add debt and issue shares. And so it dilutes the shareholders and it adds debt. So neither of those things are generally things you want to hear when you're a shareholder. But in the world of REITs and the way that there are some advantages to these, such as the fact that they get into these assets and they have claims on this land that that appreciates over time. And so, you know, if you think of other types of businesses going back to Disney, if they want to grow, let's say they want to open a new Disneyland in Minnesota or something, they it would be very expensive for them to throw all that railing together to make their various roller coasters and and prop up these big parking lots and and all of the all of the very expensive things you have to do to to grow that revenue. And then over time, that stuff deteriorates. And then if you contrast that to a, a REIT, they're going to buy a piece of property, a, a, some land, and it's going to maybe they pay a million dollars for it today. Maybe in 10 years, it's worth 20, 
I, I like lost track of my numbers. Did I say a million? Let's let's make it realistic and say it goes up to two million. So you know the the value of that land increases, and uh, that continues to increase as they add more and more properties. And so it's a it's it's a very different scenario. Not to say one's necessarily better than the other. But because of the restrictions, because of the way their businesses grow, you have to look at them differently. And so in the case of a REIT like this, especially because they have to grow with debt, you have to look at their debt and make sure it's it's reasonable. You're not going to be able to use a regular debt to equity ratio on it because, like I said, the, the way the business model works is different. So they're going to sh- they're going to have a lot higher of a growth in revenues than a regular business, but they also have a higher growth in debt. Hopefully that's simple and makes sense. So when I look at this company, NHI, they showed their debt ratios was improving from year to year to year. So from 2017, 2018, 2019, that debt ratio was decreasing and they disclosed it in their annual report. That's good. That's something you want to see. The other thing I wanted to check was because of COVID, obviously, a lot of REITs have been affected by COVID for obvious reasons. When people can't pay their rent, that's going to be problematic. Um, as in the case of NHI, they recently reported they collected 93.9% of rent. They call it contractual cash um, for January. So that so in the sense of how their business model is holding up through the pandemic, they are most of their tenants appear to be just fine based on that number. What I wanted to point out about this, so that looks good. They seem to have decent growth. I would look at FFO, which is fund from operations. That's kind of their version of free cash flow. What I what what I really wanted to point out with this company though was if you're scrolling through the annual report, one of the things that they disclose here is they have four major customers. And so those are four different operators. They list them on here and they say out of each of these four customers make up at least 10% of our total revenues and over 58% collectively. So when more than half of your revenue is coming from four customers, those four customers are going to have a lot of leverage on you, particularly if they know that they have this advantage on you. And so not to say that it's the worst thing in the world, but it's something to keep in mind that you have the risk of if one of these tenants leaves, we're going to have huge problems with our business. And number two, when it comes to negotiating rents or whatever needs to be negotiated between customers or suppliers, they're going to have more leverage. And so it's going to be harder to squeeze profits out of those kinds of transactions. So those those are the things that stood out to me. I think if you kind of put a blindfold on and, and pick any REIT right now, they are all very cheap, but you do have to be careful with the debt situation and you have to look for things like this. And when I look at what makes this REIT different from some of the others that we've looked at, this is one of those things that popped out at me that said, okay, this is something that's a little bit more risky that you won't necessarily see as a financial metric or financial number, but it just kind of shows how it's important to do some research. 
What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, that's fantastic uh, advice and guidance. And uh, the idea about the four customers is uh, spot on. That's a, a great insight. Uh, one, a couple other things that I wanted to, I guess, kind of tag on a little bit of what Andrew was saying. So all the different ideas that he was talking about with the debt and the way that the REITs grow and everything is spot on. And that's exactly what we need to think about when we're thinking about looking at REITs. And a big portion of something to consider when you're thinking about REITs is the type of business that it's in, as well as the collection of rents. Because as Andrew said, uh, it looks like NHI is collecting, what, 97% of the rents, which is awesome, especially uh, with the COVID year that we've just gone through. There are other REITs that have been really, really spanked. Simon Property Group in particular comes to mind. Uh, they're one of the big mall REITs. And as we all know, the malls have been primarily shut down throughout most of the country. And so they have struggled mightily to collect rents. I think they've improved recently, but I know I was looking at that particular company uh, around the springtime. And at that time, I believe they were collecting like 65, 70% of their rents. So uh, it was, it was, it was a struggle. So the other thing you have to think about with REITs is uh, the debt, like Andrew was saying, and it's not just about the total amount of debt. One of the things that I like to look at with that is also the debt schedule. So there is a, you will find that in the notes section of the uh, quarterly as well as the annual report, and you'll be able to determine from those, they'll list out when the debt is coming due. And a reason why that's important to know is generally they, that's one of the big ways that REITs will grow is by using debt to buy properties and buy land and produce other places that they can collect rent from. But a lot of it has to do with when the debt is coming due. So generally most of the debt that they're doing is it's called, they're called equity raises and not equity raises. They're, they're issuing bonds. I'm sorry. They're issuing bonds to raise money. So in other words, they're issuing debt of their own company's debt that they're trying to collect money so that they can go out and buy these properties. Now, they have different debt schedules. So sometimes they may have a bond issuing that may not mature for 15 years, which means that they will pay interest on that money and then they will pay it back in 15 years or they may stagger the payments. It kind of depends on how the company's structured as well as well as their cash flow. So one of the things to think about when you're looking at REITs is when is that debt going to come due? So there's been some REITs that I've been looking at off and on over the last year or so that I bought one as well in, in the fat pitch portfolio that I manage. And one of the things that I liked about that particular REIT was they had very, very little debt coming due over the next two or three years, which gives them a really, really good window to go through this tough period that the whole country is going through and build up some some reserves, in other words, and help them if they were going to struggle in the future, which they're not. It's a great company. They've been around for a long time and they, they got some great management. And they really know their stuff. But one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at their financials was that their debt was not, they were not going to have any debt payments scheduled for the next three years. And that was a big, big bonus. So those are some things that you can notice when you're looking through the financials. The other thing that you want to look at is what kind of 
What kind of leases do they offer their customers? Uh, and in this particular case, they, the NHI has triple net leases, which is probably the best kind of lease that you can get. That's the most advantageous for not only the rentor, but the rentee as well. So, uh, it works out really well for everybody. So NHI, uh, I think there's, there's some things that look really, really good. And then there's, I guess, a couple things that are maybe give you a little bit of pause. So I hope that helps answer Angie's question. Do you have anything else you wanted to tag on with that, sir? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free, no insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. 
When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I would just say with what you were talking about, the debt schedule, if we were to invert that, so if we had a company that had a bunch of debt coming due, you have to think not only is that obviously kind of risky, but at the same token, if they're going to have to pay back a bunch of debt, they're not going to have a lot of money left over to reinvest in new properties in order to get similar levels of growth. So maybe the growth that you saw over the last five years is not going to materialize over the next five years because they've kind of used up all of that growth and and now they got to pay back some of that debt. So you can look at it both on the negative side and on the positive side in general. Yeah. I think looking at that debt schedule and, and trying to make that advantageous for you with when you're buying the company can work out really, really well. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a very, very, very good point. So thank you for adding that. All right. Uh, let's move on to the last question. So we have a question here. So it says, hi, Dave. I hope you're doing well. I'm taking you up on the hit reply in case of any question suggestion. I'm a new listener of your and Andrew's podcast and a new subscriber to the e-investing newsletter. So I had a question about dollar cost averaging, and I was hoping you'd direct me to where I could read slash hear more about it. This might be a very basic read, stupid question. There are no stupid questions. So I apologize in advance if that's the case. It's about how dollar cost averaging works. I understand the concept of dollar cost averaging, but I'm not sure I understand the actual mechanics of implementing it. Let me elaborate a little bit more. Let's assume a dollar cost averaging and I'm sending $250 out of each paycheck to my brokerage account and I hold, say, seven positions of my portfolio. How does that $250 get distributed to purchase the shares of the positions I hold? Is that something the brokerage account lets me set? Does it go to purchases some shares in all the positions equally, or is it weighted in some way, or goes to buy shares of a few positions one month and shares of others next month? Also, bonus question, how does it work if I'd like to add more positions to my portfolio? That's a great question. Thank you, Asim. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that? So just to get the technical part of it out of the way, I know with 401ks, if you are to set up an automatic transfer, uh, usually it will invest for you. So if you say, I want my 401k to have 75% stock market, 25% bonds, and then you just set an auto transfer into that auto deposit, then you don't have to do anything and that's going to give you that 75, 25%. Now, when you have individual stocks in your brokerage account, there's there's no way that I've seen where you can do that. And so you might have an automatic transfer going into your brokerage account, but at that point, you're going to have to log in your brokerage account and decide where you want to allocate those funds, what stocks you want to add to, what new stock positions you want to take. So Dave, actually, I'd be curious in hearing maybe 
in your shoes, how would you think about dollar cost averaging new positions with the portfolio you manage now? If, if somebody was coming in new to that, how would you recommend they do that? Ooh, that's a good question. So here's how I guess I would look at this. It depends. Uh, it's going to, I'm going to qualify it a little bit. It's going to depend a little bit on where the other positions are in the portfolio versus the new position that you have. So kind of the, the way the 401ks work generally is when there's money invested in the 401k, a lot of times they will put it in the position that is the most undervalued or underweighted, uh, depending on how you have the portfolio set up. So like Andrew was suggesting a moment ago, if you have a 75-25 allocation, which means 75% in stocks and 25% in bonds, for example, if you put $100 in the portfolio, then the 401k would most likely put $75 in stocks and $25 in bonds without going into the different maybe positions that you have in that mixture. So let's say that the $75 you're going to put in the stock part of it, then maybe part of that would go towards the companies that are the most undervalued or most underweighted. So if you have seven stocks and you want to split them evenly between those, let's say, let's make it easy math. Let's say it's 10. So let's say you have 10 positions and you want to add the money equally. Then if you have $100, you would obviously put $10 towards each position. That may or may not be feasible. But the other way to do it, let's say that three of the positions have done really, really well and they've gotten really, you know, great returns and they've grown to a bigger portion of the portfolio and you, you want to add more money. The, the best way to do that would be to add to the ones that are underweighted. So the other, other stocks, this other seven stocks out of that 10 that are underweighted. They aren't as big of positions, in other words. So it, instead of them all being 10%, maybe the other three are 45%, and now the other ones are now only 55%, and you want to bring that weeding up, then you would add money to those portions of the portfolio to try to fill out the weighting to make sure that they're all kind of equally weighted. The other thing that you can look at is you can look at the ones that you feel are maybe have the best potential to grow the most or are the cheapest. Uh, That's what I would do. I would look at the ones that are the cheapest. So if I have a portfolio that's built up like I do and I'm putting money into the account like I do, then what I do is I look for the things that I think are the cheapest and still have the most room to grow. Because as being a value investor, I generally try to buy companies that are on sale and then wait for them to go up in price. And when they do, that's how I earn my returns. So by scouring the internet and the stock market, trying to find those great deals. So when I do that, then I'm looking for a company or two that I feel like is the has the best prospects to grow further. Now, if I have other companies that maybe are closer to where I think they're valued, I may add a little bit, but I may not add as much. And so by doing that, by continually adding to the ones that are undervalued and as they start to grow, that starts to build up your portfolio. And once those stocks hit and they will hit, it's going to be big. That's when you get really big returns. And that's when somebody like a Warren Buffett has really, that's where he's really made his bread and butter is by finding some of those really undervalued ones and then really putting 
a lot of emphasis on those stocks. And when they pop, then that's when he gets these monstrous returns. And so that's, that's kind of how I approach it. I look at either waiting. So thinking about how the portfolio is constructed and how I want to do that. And then also trying to add money to companies that I feel like are still have room to grow. Now, if you want to add a new position, then instead of maybe adding to those other seven positions that he has in his portfolio, then you just add money to that new position. Or you could add some money to that position and a little bit, but then you keep doing it every month until you get it to where you want it to be. Uh, so that's really, I guess, in essence, how I look at it. What are your thoughts on that, Andrew? Those are all great ideas. I like them a lot. Uh, if it was me and I only had seven stocks in my portfolio, I would probably be looking to get that higher. I like a range of 15 to 20 stocks generally, but you know, to have stocks where each position is making up somewhere around 5% of your portfolio, anywhere between five to 10, that's, that's a good kind of, that's a good place to be at when it comes to diversification. And so it's kind of something I've always I've always thought about and and talked about is just you know if, if you're if you're looking at stocks every month, it makes sense to me to put the most money into your best ideas every month, and that's that's generally what I've done and what I recommend to subscribers. And one thing to keep in mind when you're dollar cost averaging into positions that you've had in the past and maybe haven't done as well, and maybe they're down in price is to make sure before you're allocating to those, check to see if things have changed. So I have positions in my portfolio that have gone down that I've decided not to add to, not because I want to sell the position necessarily or not because I don't feel good about the company, but because it's not presenting as good of results as maybe it did when I first bought it. And so you want to adjust on that too based on how comfortable you are how confident you are about the stock and then how they're doing lately and and if it's aligning with how you thought things were supposed to go over the long term so you know we know companies will stumble and they won't perform like we expect them to all the time it doesn't mean we need to sell them at, at the at their first trip up but if it does keep you a little bit weary then maybe you do hold off on adding to a position that's not doing as well but if 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 it's if you can have confidence and you have this the circle of confidence that tells you that yeah I know not that I know but I have I I'm feeling pretty good about it in ten years just completely forgetting about the short term turbulence then that's like Dave said those are the opportunities when when a stock's beaten down and you have a lot of research and a lot of expertise that tells you that this company is really in an advantageous position is just in a short-term stumbling block with the share price you you lock in on those type of deals and that's where you can make a lot of money and that's where value investing can really pay off but you have to have the conviction and you have to have the the confidence which comes from the knowledge and the research of knowing when a company is a good buy for the very long term so hopefully out of all those options, one of those kind of sticks and applies to people's situations out there when they're looking to dollar cost average. Yeah, that's that's a great point. The last thing I guess I wanted to 
I guess, commend everybody is the dollar cost averaging is not only beneficial for you in the respect that it's going to help build your portfolio, but it also helps set a, a pattern and a habit. And the more that you can set a habit like that of continually adding money to your investment account as you get older, that's going to benefit you more and more, especially for those of you out there that are much younger than myself. Please, by all means, start. Start now. And even if you only put in a little bit, it's going to add up. The power of compounding is one of the greatest forces known to man. And it will benefit you in the long run. And if you can set that habit and set that pattern early and young, it, even if you're you're older like myself and you set that pattern, it's still it's going to benefit you, and you're gonna you're gonna thank yourself. You know, twenty, thirty, forty years from now, you're gonna look back and thank thank yourself for doing this because it will pay off. And you just have to be consistent and patient. And all the things that Andrew and I have talked about through the years doing the podcast, they they still hold true and they still work, and it, it still will benefit you. So I encourage you to continue down the path you guys are going. And if you haven't started, start. If you are doing it, you know, keep it up. You're doing great. So true. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for sending us those great questions and taking the time to write to us. Uh, those were fantastic. So those are really, really good questions. The guys are getting better and better every time. So keep it up. We appreciate it. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.